Welcome to the How to Find Joy podcast. If you are currently feeling unhappy, overwhelmed, stuck in a rut, or simply need a boost of hope, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, June Supanpuk, also known as Joy Guy June, and I'm here to give you honest conversations on how to find joy through this messy thing called life. My intention is to share practical tips on how to get back on the path towards joy, show you examples of what that could look like for you, and help you feel more inspired and connected to your own definition of success, power, and true happiness. If you're ready to learn what's possible, the How to Find Joy podcast is here for you. So let's get this pot started. Woohoo! Okay, so if you chose to listen to this episode because of the title, all I want to say is, you're my kind of person. Yes! You don't want to squander this precious life. You know the inevitable truth that we're all going to die, whether we like it or not. And you want to know how to enjoy your human experience before the Grim Reaper comes to town. And today's guest is going to teach us how to do it. So Jody Wellman is my guest, and I just freaking love her. We have such kindred spirits. We love joyful things, but we also like the kooky, creepy inevitable, deathy things about life. And she is a leading authority on living lives worth living. And as a speaker and facilitator, she helps her clients live squander-free lives while, of course, they're still lucky enough to be above ground. And she cleverly begins with a big end in mind, which I think is totally awesome and very, very helpful Um, And she named her business 4,000 Mondays because it shines the light on the finite number of weeks we have to live like we mean it. And I really, really appreciate her perspective because it just is something that I feel like is such a taboo topic, you know, death. Even though it's so universal, we all do it. So why avoid it? Let's talk about it. So Jody holds a Master's of Applied Positive Psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, where she is also an assistant instructor. And as a certified coach with 25 years of corporate leadership experience, she helps executives, teams, and high performers work well and live even better. So I am just so excited and happy to have her on today's episode. Here is How to Find Joy Before You Die. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to start getting really deathy with you because (laughs) this is a topic that I feel like as a joy guide, we go over quite often because there's so much death and rebirth that happens when it comes to finding joy. But like in your work, I love it so much because this is such a interesting, almost like taboo, even though it's so universal conversation, right? Um, but I'm just curious, what led you to pick this topic as your life's calling? You know, I am consistently amused. Let's call let's call it amused with this funny thing that we're all doing on this planet, right? So we're all working very hard to find joy and to be happy and all these noble missions. And let's be honest, like the freaking absurdity of it all that we are all careening towards an inevitable end. And I know that that does give a lot of people a lot of stress and I'm just, I'm just going to pile onto it right now. But that the idea that we're all in this together and we're all just, you know, trying hard to, to, to like and love our lives and, oh my gosh, they're going to come to an end and we don't even know when that 
what seems so crazy to me. That has always struck me as bizarre, absurd, fascinating. And thankfully I have a sense of humor about it or else, you know, if you think too long about it, it may not, <laughs> may not make you laugh, but I've always found it amusing. Right. Um, and, and there have been a series of events in my life that have really woken me up to kind of the sanctity of life, if you will. Um, you know, there's the grief story. My mom passed in her fifties and I saw that she had just a slew of regrets. And that really struck me because I knew I was going to maybe head down a path of not taking paths that I wanted to take, but I just lacked some confidence. And so that was a spark. I wasted a decade to eating disorders that I was so uh, trapped in and then saw the light and realized, whoa, 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 I don't want to be living like this. I am essentially the walking dead. And that, you know, enabled me, unfortunately, going through the, that really tough struggle was instrumental in helping me also to ironically wake up and live live life more like I mean it. Um, and then studying it in grad school was just a big kapow because that for me validated that, oh, this is legit. You know, we're allowed to talk death and have it be empirically based so we can nerd out on it and not just be weird. So all that together created a, like the right conditions to talk about this for me. <laughs> no, yeah, I think that's a perfect way to express it. Let's, you know, because it is really something that I feel like you have to be called to because oftentimes humans are not really waiting to count down for their deaths. It is a weird topic to talk about. I personally love it myself, but I do think that there's something so powerful about the grief that it sound like, sounds like initiated you onto this path. And you clearly are so joyful when you talk about it <laughs> that it's almost, it's like that much more inspiring in a way to be like, wait a second, hold up. She's talking about death, but she is also really killing the game in terms of like being so happy about it. So despite, you know, like your mom's situation, the eating disorder that you so openly shared about, because I watched your TEDx talk so many times. I watched it with my mom and it was really inspiring to be able to kind of see you take such a challenging subject. And I know when my mom, who is in her 70s, is watching you speak on it, there's a different reframing that happens where she's like, wait, okay, so I can be happier, find joy by literally thinking backwards and going from, well, if I actually thought about my end <laughs> to get to my beginning, that is interesting, right? Yes. That, that you just reminded me of, you know, the Stephen Covey, like, seven habits of highly effective people. Yes. I've always yes. taken the one about begin with the end in mind and like, let's maximize that. Yes. Let's absolutely work backwards. Like your mom said, because that to me is one of the only ways we really feel the grip. And mm. we'll just take a sidebar for a sec. Cause I don't know, you notice this and I think we're very like, we're kindred spirits in this. There's um, a lot of talk in psychology about motivation around what does it take for people to want to live more fully, live their best life, whatever you want to call it, insert the saying of the moment here. And the idea of dreaming what you want can be very lovely. And some people are self-motivated. There are some weirdos out there that yeah. will <laughs> pursue the dream, but unfortunately I remember Tony Robbins early days saying, you know, we're more motivated to avoid pain than pursue pleasure. And this is really the crux of this. And it's based in psychology. It's that the idea of aspiring towards something lovely is lovely, but unfortunately we rest on our laurels. We do need a poke in the ribs. We do need 
the grief that you talk about. We do need hardship. We do need, and my translation to this, where I will always take it back to the bottom line of rock onto the Grim Reaper, because (laughs) that's the biggest slap in the face that I think we need in order to actually go, oh my gosh, like I have 1,889 Mondays. Like I got a book that trip to Prague. Rather than dreaming about it and just that sort of fanciful notion of I will get to do it later, maybe not. Yeah. You know, oftentimes people really try to find a positive motivator, but most people will be like, Jody, how is death positive? Like, can you can you give them kind of an explanation of how that could be a positive reframe? Mm, Right. It will require me being real and saying like, I am not that out to lunch. Like, I'm not trying to say, you know, that de- that death is lovely. Like, oh, yeah. it's going to be crap for all of us. Like, that's just, yeah. but, but we've already rationalized that the end is in store. Uh, we will deny it quite, quite craftily, but we all get it. And we all hope for the best that it'll be peaceful in our sleep. And many of us know that it may not be, but so I'm not necessarily trying to paint a picture to, Um, there, there are a lot of people out there in the death positive movement about death acceptance and so on. And I love all that. And yet I'm actually funny enough. I'm trying to work with that exact feeling of like, that's the thing that Mm. I want to capture. If we could bottle that sound somehow into an elixir. (laughs) And and have you had your bottle of today? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) But it would taste amazing. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then that, like, I want to catapult springboard off that very little of fear in order to create the sense of urgency and priority that we're just, we're just asleep at the switch. Right? Because that's how we are wired to be. We, we're wired to adapt or else we would explode daily with all the inputs in society, you know. So, so I want it to still be something not to fear. There's cool research out there about your fear of death diminishing in direct proportion to how well you believe you've lived your life. Holy crap. Like that's like my Mecca. I love that. Um, so I'm okay to have death still be something not to positively savor and anticipate, but I just want to still use it. I want to use it to our advantage. I love your explanation of it because there are a lot of people who, of course, as we love positivity, but there's kind of this toxic positivity, obviously, that's out there too, that's embellishing certain things that might not be as helpful and might create some bypassing of real lived human experiences. And yeah. so your clarity around it, though, is so, I think, fundamentally important to know that this is what we're grasping for, is not um, joy before we die in a way that's like, we love death. This is amazing. It's like, no, no, no. It's the moment that is so vital in a a, a catalyst for change. So in your opinion, what is joy? Like, what is your definition of joy? This will sound broad, but I can get narrow. Uh, Joy means whatever the heck it is that makes you feel alive. And I love that the answer is different for everybody, but it's so, you know, in stark contrast to death is aliveness. And that's the place I love to spend even more time. Um, and, and, And it's about aliveness in doses that I think we often underestimate. You know, um, I, I want to encourage people to live an astonishingly alive life. And I also am very clear that that sounds magnanimous and I will not stop anybody from living magnanimously. Like, let me not hold you back. However, 
There's also a big beauty in the mundane. And I really want to spend time talking and thinking and getting other people thinking about how the life you live is usually not flashy. I talk about helping people imagine ways to organize and design your life so that you can do the things you long to do, right? Do the travels, do the business plans, do the, you know, the cool dreams, the marathons, the things. Awesome. But I guess they say life's what happens when you're busy making other plans. Like life is also what happens when you're in between all those cool things, which is really the majority of our time, right? And I don't want that to be like a wasted, squandered time. I love the idea and joy of eking it out. And it doesn't even need to be eked. That's the funny part, right? All we have to do is just put on the right set of glasses to be like, oh my gosh, you know, my incredible like cocktail I have in front of me. I actually don't have a cocktail in front of me right now in the morning, but <laughs> well, I really would love that. But uh, yeah. you know, I'm looking right now at a piece of art that I'm looking at and I'm going, I love that I have it on my desk. Like I just, every time I look at it, I, I just love it. And, and yet I could walk by that thing every single day. And on most days I don't pay much attention to it, but it's right. reveling in the mundane, realizing that we could recognize and see and appreciate what's happening in the moment right now. And mm. we can plan for an incredible, fantastic around the world trip or an amazing tasting menu or all the things. It can be wide and it can be also really weensy. And that is just so beautifully joyful. Well, I love the word mundane that you're using right now because I think that's so important to, because most people are like, oh, mundane. Okay, I can't wait to live my mundane life. But I think there's something really incredibly wonderful about the mundane, the simple joys, right, is what we're really talking about. And being present and aware of those simple joys in the mundane to be able to kind of find that aliveness and magic. Totally. The tiniest little thing, like on a walk this morning, seeing these new little buds coming off the cacti, like what's that? And, and those are just joy. I mean, the, the observations, like you said a moment ago, being really present in the moment, the good, bad, or otherwise, what does it taste like? Like really immersing. And that is a really nice quick hit to take a 20 minute break between meetings and actually feel more alive. Like, don't you find there's a, there's a study, several studies around how the notion about being present delivers more of a sense of life satisfaction, even if in that present moment, it's not that great, but being present to it and conscious and aware of it delivers a little bit more of a feeling of uh, centeredness and then satisfaction in life than if you just let average, even good moments sort of flow by without stopping and capturing it. I love that. Yes. No, I love that. When you were talking about the five senses, I like kind of touched my sweater a little bit because <laughs> I feel like this is, I'm, I'm so tactile first off anyways. It just, it makes it so delicious. Like suddenly finding a way to experience the present moment is a reminder of the joy of the human, the lived human experience. Because we're just so off on mind land oftentimes like somewhere else and not looking or being in this yeah. moment that when you talked about that I got oh my god yes to feel alive <laughs> like that's so it that it and it doesn't have to be challenging you don't have to go to some crazy retreat in some mountains <laughs> somewhere you really could just do it even on the pot you could just sit there and be like I'm really present peeing right now <laughs> like whatever it may be totally yes that's so right and that just, that makes me downright giddy because the good life is accessible to all of us at any given moment. You know, we, we have the ability to elicit and 
And now again, it's not even like I said earlier about like eking it out because that, that it's not even that it takes work. It's just noticing, huh? We, if, if we took more time and attention and effort to do that noticing, there's just, there's so much great stuff going on all around us and, and it's available. I completely agree. So in your opinion, you know, cause on the show, we ask every person who comes on here, whether they're an expert expert or somebody who's just had a lived experience, what are the top three pieces of advice you'd give somebody who kind of is eking it out and is struggling to find joy before they die, you know, like they're feeling quite unalive. Like what would be three things that you might give them as tips? Um, one area is I call it diagnosing the dead zones. And in the, in the old adage in the business world about you can't manage what you can't measure, but this one is about, you know, like, let's just get a, get our, get our heads on. Like, where in your life, first of all, like, okay, the positive psychology practitioner of me should definitely give credence to where are things going well, do more of that check. But where are things feeling garbage? Like where, where do you feel that life has just left you? And it could be a domain like your fun and recreation, or it could be your spirituality, maybe your social life, but pinpoint, because sometimes we just lump it all in together. Like my life is bland or life sucks, or I'm down. And we, we lump it, right? So pinpointing where it is that we might want to start. And back to the idea about like just one thing, let's not um, overburden ourselves with the to-do list of ways to get out of the pole. I just pick one small thing, right? And so now like it's like point two on what really get out the, mo- the most out of stuff, especially when you're not feeling it. Um, you would know from my TEDx talk, this sort of notion I have around, it's not just about living longer, that would be great, but it's about living wider and deeper, right? So the widening part of life is about living with vitality and feeling like we're having fun around here. And like, there's just something really cool going on. Lots of tastes, lots of flavors, lots of trips, the fun. And then the deepening is about having more of that sense of meaning and the purpose and connecting to other people and feeling like what you do matters or that, you know, where you are in the grand scheme of things. And So back to that idea of if you've diagnosed the dead zones and you've said, my dead zone is in the area of fun and recreation. I don't even know what those words mean anymore. (laughs) Then maybe for you, it's the dimension of widening with vitality, right? And that's where I say, get a list going of stuff that you can in the in-between moments between meetings, or if you know you're going to take Friday afternoon off, which, you know what, let's all just take Friday afternoon off. I know. Um, Amen to that, please. Let's have... Oh, with the framework of, is it that I need more vitality and, or is it that I need more meaning? Sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's one or the other, but get back to if it is fun and recreation for you, maybe it is that I would like to go and sniff around that music store in town and see about what it would take to take lessons to maybe learn how to play the drums. I don't know. I have a client right now who is just this amazing woman and her life is altered because she's playing the drums and she's like, it's not about being excellent. I'm learning. I'm allowed to be horrible sometimes, but I love, so there's, there's challenge. There's the camaraderie with a bit of a band she's jamming with and she's got, she's learning and growing and it's just listening to her talk about it is life breathing, even through Zoom. I'm I'm catching the life through Zoom, right? Um, But that's so beautiful. Right. So it's, so it's picking one thing that you might want to do that might give you a shot at feeling more alive. Um, and then point three, 
just to cap this puppy off, you know, I think um, the idea about shaking things up and including novelty in life is key. So I have a very, very opinionated opinion on the fact that habits, I think, are not so hot for us. They do turn us into these kind of zombies and we get into autopilot because we are doing the same thing over and over again. And hey, it makes us very efficient. And um, that's lovely. We're optimized, Jody. We're optimized. (laughs) Exactly. And that's good at first until it turns you into somebody that's living a life that all of a sudden you're feeling like it's passing you by. So shaking things up is key. So it's like identify right now, what are the habits you have? And we all have them, um, but it could be your morning routine. It could be the order you do your work. Uh, when you sit down at your desk, it could be the way you, you know, your meals. Like, I don't know about you, but I've kind of, we got like nine meals on rotation for dinner these days. Yeah. <laughs> like we need to spice it up. But shaking up the things that you already have kind of in a groove, because we don't want grooves. We want like, like something that's just a little bit different. You know, um, what all the things you have in your life that, that are good and fine and working for you, I dare you right now to pick one every week and shake it up. Do a different workout. Walk a different route. Shake it up. Yes, totally kowtow to all those. Like, I really, really love the simplicity of it because it's like, oh yeah, you identify the problem, then you widen and deepen. And then of course, like you shake things up. It sounds so doable, which I'm very excited about because for our audience, we want doable. They're usually a little bit on the beginner side of like, how do we do this thing? And I love how uh, step-by-step it is. And it builds, right? I guess my question to you for those people, like my dad, I can hear him. He is such a good robot. <laughs> he's such a good, yeah. You should hang out with my dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they could be two robot dads together. Um, they're so, he's so measured. He is very, just really good. You know, if you ask him to do something, you know he's going to be doing it every day at the same time in the same way. And that builds, obviously, you know, an optimization of self. And, yeah. you know, he he did that with his fitness. And now at 70 something, he's so fit and it's incredible. I really admire that. And then in other ways, I'm like, dad, are you bored? Like, what is this? How can you shake things up a little bit? And he kind of gets a little prickly and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I can hear some of our audience being like, Jody, shake things up. How dare you? And like <laughs> get their feathers all ruffled um, for good reason, because there's like a sense, I would assume I, I have I have trouble at times shaking things up myself because of safety and security. So yeah. what advice would you give for those who might be like, ooh, widen and deepen, ooh, even more so, shake things up, what? <laughs> right. I don't want to jostle my life. And you highlighted something that is so key, and I love how we both have the same example with our lovely dads. And because uh, my dad is like the king of routine, it's like value mart on Wednesday afternoons, and he's got like his exact thing. Da, 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 da. And um, and he's so cute because he reads all of my blog posts every Monday, and he's all he's he's often said because I don't want to uh, I can't like I my, I want for him something that I think he doesn't want for himself, and so I need to be very careful because I can be all like preaching from the mountaintops, like, here's how I want things to be for all of us. And people are like, 
you want, I don't want that. Like, okay, well, yeah. then I need to respect that, right? Like my dad sure, of course. will say to me after reading my articles, like, wow, yeah, you know, I've lived a good life. Like, he's 85 and he's like, I've lived a good life. He has no interest in shaking up his routine. He doesn't want to, he doesn't need to. And that's to me the biggest litmus test. Do you know how I said earlier to diagnose your dead zones? Yes. You know, I don't know if your dad falls into this or other people listening. It's like, if you are already kicking back and going like, I am loving my life. And there is actually a way to measure it, right? And like, let's just, there's the, it's called the Cantrill ladder and picture your life on a series of rungs from, you know, zero to 10. 10 is the best possible life for you. Zero is the worst possible life for you. Where are you? And generally, so the U.S. population is averaged at 7.22 and it's in the doing well kind of category. And many of us might be at a 7.22 and, and feel like that's atrocious. And many of us would say, this is great. It doesn't matter. It's really just being relative. And so if you feel right now, like my life feels good, who cares about the number? Maybe I just feel like I don't want to rustle up my routines because I like my life. Well, then I'm going to high five you and we're going to have a cocktail and we're going to love your life too. Like, great. So I don't want to fix what you don't think is broken. I don't, I'm not here to judge. I swear to you. Um, what I do hear though, is this, this is where the niggling comes in. And most of us do have a pretty tuned in niggling radar, even if we do try to muffle it, for example, with cocktails or, or food or other things, right? And it goes like this. It's like, you know, if the, to your point, June, if the idea of changing your routine makes you uncomfortable, that might be an indication. Because if you just sat back and didn't feel uncomfortable and just thought, see you guys later, I'm going to tune out. It's not for me. It's because it's not hurting somewhere. It's not awakening something. But if you do have that sense of, yeah, maybe I am letting things float by or yeah, I like my routines. I feel safe, but maybe there's room for more. That to me is that that's just the little crack in the window we could open further because let's, let's say you get to still keep your routines. What if you just maybe added in a couple of new and different things? So maybe if it makes you feel safer, you don't have to bust up your whole Saturday and Sunday if it's working for you. But what about just adding in something on a Thursday night that might be kind of neat, like a walk around the park that you've never been to, and then you stop and get ice cream. Maybe yeah. that's all you need to shake up your Thursday night. You don't need to change your workout, right? Okay. Okay. Perfect. I think I can, I can feel the shoulders easing <laughs> in, out of tension. <laughs> I can, I can right. sense the relief, you know, um, because, you know, that's a huge part of trying something new, like your client example. So good because I've tried myself, even this podcast, like it's so new and it feels so different. It's out of a comfort zone of mine, but like even beginning that process was challenging to be able to kind of confront the parts of me that have been okay and like, oh, we're good. We don't have to shake things up. And then once that simple element came in to kind of awaken me to feel even more alive, but like uncomfortably alive, I think that's where the shakeup becomes scary. And you're like, no, 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 I don't want to do this. Go back into my little box because it, it's, it, that's the discomfort of the aliveness. So yes. what, what do you have to say about the discomfort of the aliveness? Yeah. And is that yeah. like a common thing that happens in your work that you've seen? Totally. I feel it all the time too. Uh, and so it shows up in different ways for different people. Um, you know, as an introvert, you know, I have these notions about, oh, it'd be so fun to go and, you know, do lunch with her one day and then go and do that coffee or do this thing. And then 
I often just want to really want to cancel um, because I am tired or I'd rather just stay in and it's easier and, and, and. And yet every time I go and I do the social thing, within reason, I'm not going to fill my calendar. I'm, I'm never going to be um, you know, a socializer every day of the week. But I can honestly say that there's really never been a time I've come back from an outing and felt like I shouldn't have done that. That was terrible. I usually do feel in some way invigorated, but it's funny because your brain plays tricks on you ahead of time and makes you want to not do it. And so my answer to that for many of us, whether it's for social, you could be a raging extrovert and be like, and, and but maybe for you, it's about registering for that class that might make you feel nervous because you are going to show up and look like an idiot on day one. Yeah. You and everybody else on day one, like you don't worry, you're not alone. And also no one's looking at you as much as you think they are. It's to practice saying yes, you know, so I have this, this notion about like saying yes to life and, and we may have opportunities that knock on our door. Like, Hey, do you want to come to lunch? Or, Hey, do you want to go and do this conversational Spanish class with me? Or do you want to, and the part of us that's just, that, that does get small and sometimes lazy or sometimes cause we're into lethargy or sometimes it's just say yes, not every time or else then you're going to reach burnout, but just get into a little bit more of a reflex of saying yes. And then th- dealing with it after so now with more social occasions, I will say yes right away. Or if I have this notion, like if I'm traveling, say, say I'm traveling to New York, my first instinct might be, oh, I'm going to go and see so-and-so. And I'll immediately reach out and say, hey, I'm going to be in town. Do you want to do a quick drink or a breakfast? And then after I've sent the email, I think, what did I do that for? I'm going to want to just hunker down in my hotel room. I'm an idiot. But you know what? You like make it your reflex to just do the thing that's a choice for life. And rarely will you regret it right? You just have to monitor how often, like you you can't overdo it, but make your instinct, make your choice to say, just do it. Nike styles, just register for the class. Just go to the movie in the park. Just go to do like, open up the sketchbook. Like just, just say yes. Oh, I love that. And also you brought up a a fantastic word that I was going to ask you about regret because Yes, it is in your TED Talk. It is in like so much of your work. I obviously have subscribed to your emails. So I know you talk about this topic lovingly all the time. And again, it's like you breathe life to words that I feel like people just avoid all the time. (laughs) Regret, mundane, uh, death, Grim Reaper. (laughs) And, (laughs) And that's just, it makes me giddy because you just put this wonderful spin on it. But can you talk about that a little bit more? Because I think as much as I'm hearing accountability, saying yes to life. One of the things about regret that I hear often or have read actually in research is a lot of people at the deathbed will Mm -hmm. talk more about their regrets, right? So then about what they didn't do versus what they did do. And I know you mentioned that in your TEDx talk. So could you talk about that a little bit more? um, Why regret is so important? Oh, yes. I'm going to I have a love affair with them. It's like love, hate, you know, fine line. And it's like what we said earlier around this idea about using death, a very distasteful thing to our advantage, because we need the discomfort to make a choice that's usually for the better. I feel like regrets do that same thing. They're in that same magical category of, uh, I want to avoid that. Okay, so now let's poke a stick at it. Let's play there for a second and get you uncomfortable because that's the crap you need to make the change. So the exercise you just alluded to, the deathbed regrets, or I said to somebody the other day, I I posed this thing about like, what if you had four, no, not four, that's too short, 12 Mondays left, 
Or like, what if you knew that, yeah, you've just got a few months. Are there things that you would want to stuff in? And I actually think I'm going to, I'm going to change the question because I think that can activate another different part of us because under, under urgency with only three months, we're going to blow the bank account. We're going to do all sorts of crazy things because like, well, of course we're going to do that. Whereas we're not going to blow the bank account really for the if we think we're going to live with a longer runway, but back to the original exercise, I guess. If you found yourself at the curtains time tonight, it's over. Sorry about your luck. Um, but you've had a lovely life. What would be the things that occur to you of, oh man, I always said I wanted to do X, Y, Z and I, and I never did it. Oh, like, mm. so what would those things be? And by the way, can I put you on the spot and say, look, would there be something that stands out to you that you would have a pang regret about not doing oh a million percent I Mm -hmm. uh, do not travel very often and I've never like actually done that whole 20s backpacking around Europe in hostels thing like (laughs) because I think I've been a bit too responsible uh yeah like being a little bit more irresponsible I would like to in in like the societal way right of like no I'm just gonna live I'm gonna go out there put just everything, very few things that I would need, you know, passport and a few clothes and just try to just explore and meet new people and explore more cultures. Um, yeah, that's what I would do. And, and it's funny cause I did watch the movie, the bucket list. Have you seen that movie? Yeah. 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 I, and, and so that actually inspired me to think, okay, well, if I did, have a finite amount of time, exactly what you're talking about. Like, what would I do? So that's why I have an answer at the ready because I've already been thinking about it. You've been thinking, I love that for you. And this is the powerful part about this because the point of the exercise isn't to sit there and feel horrible about ourselves for all the things we haven't done. I mean, we'll sit there enough to simmer in it and feel then motivated to do something about it. This isn't a feel bad exercise. It's meant to say, oh my goodness, good news. You're not dying right now. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning probably. And so why don't you then maybe take one step towards doing that thing, whatever that's going to look like. And can I just say, by the way, your example is such a cool one because you made me think about the back to the notion about kind of being responsible and wanting Mm -hmm. to live more like with a little more, I heard wild abandon, but it doesn't need to be wild, but just like, yes, wild abandon a little, right? Well, you might, uh, I see this, I'm, I'm the same way. You know, when you're driving somewhere or you're on a, say you're even on a road trip and you're feeling like I get 10 points because I'm on a road trip. You're doing yeah. the thing, <laughs> but there are, there are moments where it's like, but I still, I'm not fully letting loose because I'm not stopping and like getting curious about, Oh, what's down that street. Are you, when you drive mm. by the thing you're interested in, are you willing to turn back? Are you oh. willing to And a client of mine from years ago said she drove her kid to school, to college somewhere. And she said, on the way back, I saw a sign on the highway for something like the state capitol, something or other. And she's like, I've always wanted to go to the, in Springfield, Illinois to go. So I veered off and I was like, (gasps) you disobeyed your GPS? Like, how How dare you? (laughs) Right. But like, oh my gosh, that's where life starts. Because you drive and then all of a sudden you see the capital, like whatever, maybe that floats your boat, maybe it doesn't, but maybe then there's a cute diner that you go and you go in and you have a grilled cheese at the diner. And then maybe Mm. like this to me is like, I'm, I'm, I'm shaking with this notion of like, 
it's, you know, off the beaten path sometimes that our lives can happen. It's those little moments of adventure, serendipity. Ah, let's put ourselves in the position to enjoy that more, right? Yes, 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 yes. And I think that's part of the reason why um, it was so fascinating because I did take your quiz um, on your website, which by the way, can you say the name of your quiz? <laughs> Oh, sure. It is the how alive or dead are you quiz. Yes. <laughs> so I took that quiz and I was like, well, I think I would do okay. I think I'm, I think I'm all right. I'm pretty joyful. Like I've got this going on. Guess what? I got meaningfully bored and, <laughs> and it was, but it was great because on the heels of that and before I took it, I was just about to start this epic adventure into more visibility and doing more things out of my comfort zone. And so it was kind of like this amazing wake up call for me to be like, oh, right. There's so much more of my bucket list that I have left to do and I'm getting there. I'm on the way there. But it was so amazing because like your quiz for those uh, in the audience, please take it. Like, it's incredible. I think if you have no clue where you're at and you're listening and you're like, uh, I think I'm, I'm probably a zombie, but I'm not sure. Uh, maybe more than a zombie, <laughs> maybe a poltergeist. I'm not sure. But like, I think if you're, if you're trying to figure out where you are on the list, it was super helpful. Cause even for somebody like me, who's I would have predicted that I might be on the higher end of the list. It yeah. was a shock and like a really good shock. And then on top oh. of that, when, when I read, you know, the PDF that came afterwards in your email and just the breakdown of what each of the categories meant, it really did help me redefine what it means to be alive. So mm -hmm. first off, I, I love that, Jody. Thank you so much for having a resource like that. I think it's so important. Mm -hmm. But it's also just actually, actually really inspiring because I, I think a huge part of the reason why we stay stuck oftentimes, at least the people that I've heard with my joy clients, it's like it's because we're just too um, unaware of where we're at. And so when you say things like diagnose where you're at, I feel like it can be hard, especially if you haven't looked within or you don't have that ability or knowledge because you're just too busy either surviving in the world or taking care of your kids or playing with different roles in your life uh, outside of the aliveness of you. So I just want to say thank you for that resource. It, it's amazing. And I also noticed, by the way, you have a countdown. <laughs> you have a public life countdown timer on your website that literally says, am I right? Your, your amount of Mondays left. Is that correct? Yes. So I, uh, I do. And, um, <laughs> it is, it's right there and, it, I, and I made it so that it even includes the seconds. So there's like severe urgency here, guys. Like we, we got to yeah. get on with the living, right? Yeah, absolutely. So can you tell me first off, like, how does that support you? Cause I know some people who hate alarms and <laughs> hate the sound of that pressure, you know, but what, what is the good in seeing something like that timer for you? Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to research. It's a construct that's called temporal scarcity. And it is this mm. idea that when we realize that something is temporary or that it ain't going to last forever, our perception of it changes, right? So we all of a sudden see it as more of a valuable asset. And I use this intentionally so that I can visually see where I'm at 
And it's this equivalent, like I've got a bunch of um, hourglasses. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. if you turn the hourglass, you it's very visual. Oh, look, oh, time is running out. And then when you notice that in my instance, I got half my grains of sand left. Like yeah. that ship has sailed me. Like I'm, I'm, I'm more than halfway there. And so yeah. like that is just a very, it's a very um, tactile and visual way to say, right. Like I got to say yes to those things that are coming up. I got to exit off the highway when I see a sign that interests me. I got to book the trip. I got to do all the things because the grains of sand or in my, in what you're talking about, the numbers, they are not growing. They are receding. And it's just a visual prompt and cue. And Memento Mori is the concept. It's the old Latin phrase uh, about remembering that we must die. And people have been doing this for centuries. I mean, people have kept skulls on their desks for years uh, so that they could look at it and go, right. And that's exactly what this is. It's a Memento Mori. It's an item. And I'm a big fan of little items and things to carry with you. And I mean, my whole place is littered with all the Memento Mori uh, emblems and things that you can imagine because I do want to consciously stop and say, thank you very much. I shall make that good choice today because I know my days are numbered. Wow, mm. that is powerful. I never thought of that in the like the portraits that you see with the skulls from way back yeah. when. I, I didn't realize that that was the meaning behind it, but it definitely makes me look at it totally different. And oh, yeah. what, you're, what you're saying sounds like there's a lot of kind of like instilling a healthy fear mm -hmm. um, that your time is that there's scarcity. Um, yeah. But it reminded me when you were talking about how, you know, times there's there's it's limited and there's scarcity around it. Like all those salespeople who are like, buy now, uh, only 10 left here on the shopping network. And but really, it's like live now. <laughs> There's only so many days left in your life. And I kind of find that hilarious and also really motivating because what I'm hearing from you is uh, this fear of death over a f and, and really what I'm, what a lot of us, including myself is a fear of living mm. is, is mm. seems like really a very, wow. Reality check. It's like, yeah. wow. Am I fear fearing death or am I actually fearing living? Yeah. You put that so perfectly. Uh, it, you know, there, there's a wise old quote, I forget who said it, but it's around that same exact notion. It's that, wait a sec, like, let's assess which one are we the most afraid of? And it comes down to what you talked about earlier, right? The, the, the notions of getting out of our comfort zone and, um, and no one said it would be easy. Uh, and it, it's not ever going to get perfectly easy. It gets easier, you know, to start making some of those more life affirming choices, the decisions that make you feel a little bit nervous. Like, you know, when you book a trip, I don't know about you, but it's always that little like, ee! and like, and, and, and also like, did I, did I, well, not just, did I book the right flight, but like, should I be doing this? And the answer is almost always yes. Like make the life choice because what would it take for you to avoid getting to the end and feeling like, oh man, I played it safe. Like that to me is because of my mom's passing and seeing a bunch of her regrets at the end, that is one of my number one motivators is just, I, you know, and at the end, one could say, I was thinking about this the other day on a walk, like, who cares? You're going to be dead. If it's on your deathbed, you're dead anyways. Like if you have regrets, it's not going to haunt you. Yeah. I mean, depending <laughs> on what you believe, depending how, if you're coming back or not, but no, sure. I want to, I want to do this life justice. And I think most of us do long to do that. And all it is again, is just one small choice at a time to choose something that 
lights our fire, even a tiny little spark, uh, again, is a choice to seek joy. That is amazing. And I'm I'm just so grateful because you have energized me in this conversation. And I feel like I just want to just start living life in big ways, big magnanimous ways. So thank you so much, Jody. I so appreciate you. And if anybody was curious and wants to know more about you, how can they find you? Please let us know. Thank you for asking. Uh, I can be found over at 4000 Mondays and uh, .com. So come on over and there's a, there's a page where it'll do the calculator for you. How many Mondays you have left? That's on the resources page. And then like you said, the quiz should pop up and, uh, and then we shall all live happily ever after as long as we have uh, with more vitality and meaning. If you found the How to Find Joy podcast helpful or supportive, please be sure to leave a review. If you'd like more content, you can follow me at Joy Guide June on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're ready to tap into your own magical gifts and start living your highest potential, you can also do one-on-one private coaching with me. Learn more about my Joy Guidance program at www.joyguidejune.com.